I'm super excited to be today with composer Jermaine Stiegel, and uh, we're going to talk about his most recent film, Coming to America. Uh, Jermaine, great to see you. Great to see you, too. <laughs> it's been a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's been a minute. Yeah, we first met when you were at the uh, Composer's Lab, right, at Skywalker? What year was that? Yeah, that was actually 2016, okay. uh, back when we were able to be at the ranch in person and touching things and touching people. <laughs> So for you, uh, you've been on an incredible journey since that time. I remember when I first met you, it was, I wouldn't say it was the beginning of your career, but I mean, you definitely have continued to just work on some really incredible projects. And um, so f for folks who aren't familiar with your journey to becoming a composer, what's what, what was your path from maybe from the early years of school up into getting interested in maybe your first few steps within the industry? Yeah, I would say, you know, it's kind of, you know, fast forwarding uh, through a lot of, you know, the academic stuff, uh, the end of the academic career ended uh, with the USC film scoring program in 2004, after which point I ended up uh, doing an internship with uh, composer Marco Beltrami on the film iRobot. Um, and it's, you know, kind of fun uh, note is that, you know, that score was recorded at Fox and it was an exciting time to see a rewritten score um, be written so directly and so quickly and recorded in uh, over the course of like 10 days at Fox and to, to then um, be recording uh, the score to Coming to America there so many years later uh, and conducting on that same stage. Actually, the first session I ever went to was, was a David Newman session uh, for a movie called Duplex at Fox. Hmm. Um, and so again, the, that idea of being introduced to what I hoped would be a career at Fox, uh, being able to go back there and record again was, was a dream come true. But, um, at, when we met, uh, you and I in, in 2016, uh, when I was in the, the sound design lab, um, music and sound design lab at Skywalker, uh, that was kind of a point of kind of rebooting. So, so to speak, I, since, you know, the days of, you know, doing the, uh, you know, the, the school thing, um, you know, I've gone through the gamut of working with different composers. Um, I've worked uh, with, you know, uh, to name a few names, Mark Isham, Blake Neely, uh, Christoph Beck, um, done programming with Danny Elfman, um, uh, The Outfit. Uh, it's you know, a gamut of different guys that I consider heroes. Um, and so at the point of, you know, the Sundance Live was really, a, you know, the beginning of rebooting uh, and stepping out of doing more so additional music than my own stuff um, and stepping, you know, into, okay, let's, let's get this thing, you know, <laughs> let's, let's really pursue this thing. Mm, that's yeah. great. Now, do you feel like, uh, I mean, I'm just looking at the the types of projects that you've been working on, it goes from, you know, shorts, documentaries, TV miniseries. It feels mm -hmm. like, and, and, uh, and also most recently working with uh, your buddy, Eric on his film proximity. Um, yeah. What to you, where have you always had your eyes set? What are the projects that you're attracted to? What are the things that you're actively trying to those relate like trying to uh, foster those relationships? To me, honestly, you know, John Williams was always the model. It seemed very, 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 very unaccessible to aspire uh, to 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 have that kind of career or do projects with you know a giant sweeping orchestra. 90 hundred piece you know orchestra epic stories where you're having themes and different things but that was kind of always the model and honestly you know coming back to the sundance labs um in 2016 
you know, the Force Awakens had come out, you know, the year uh, or actually about six months prior to doing that that program in 2015 Christmas. And so the idea of having uh, my own awakening that Lucasfilm specifically was going to be doing projects that were tangible things, not just talk. We're actually going to be doing projects um, that were new content in that universe was was really a major, major focus. So the idea of being at the ranch was a, a huge um you know, you know, there was there's a lot of desire to be around those people, around the veterans, and which obviously read, led to me wanting to go up there and record other scores later after doing after doing the lab. So uh, so the film you mentioned, Proximity, that was, you know, obviously a prime example. You know, that was a very Amblin influenced score and mm-hmm. style, you know, in terms of the filmmaking and the the, the music. Um, I thought, you know, what better place to to go there and and explore that, you know, but you know, <laughs> at Skywalker. Yeah, I mean, but you also had an opportunity, you got invited to uh, work on this, our Star Wars story series, which is mm-hmm. this kind of, is it mainly web-based or is it TV also? It is, it is web-based. I'm hoping that it'll end up <laughs> in that similar platform of the, you know, the, the, the Disney model where you can find all things related to Star Wars. Um, but I, you know, I ended up uh, while I was at the labs running into uh, an exec from Lucasfilm uh, while I was, uh, you know, you know, making it rain in the gift shop for Skywalker <laughs> swag, um, and that actually spawned the beginning of uh, more relationships with Lucasfilm. Specifically, several months after that, that September, I ended up going and doing a film music lecture, uh, presenting my music to. Uh, the folks at Lucasfilm Animation and Industrial Light and Magic. So um, that was the beginning of that journey of, you know, continuing that relationship and that family. So that was, that was fun. I mean, that must have been an exciting moment for you to get that. Amazing. And then years later, here we are doing this, our Star Wars stories, which is specifically about the legacy of Star Wars and how it affects people and family and um, just a really nice heartfelt, you know, thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, So, Today we're going to be talking about coming to America. So for folks who don't know, yeah. it's a sequel from uh, you know the original classic that Eddie Murphy had put together back in 1988. What was your knowledge of the original? What is, yeah, what was your relationship to it? Yeah, I mean, I grew up with the original, and you know, honestly, when I met with Craig, uh, the director, the first question he asked because you know we hadn't worked together before uh, was, "What does coming to America mean to you?" Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, man, it's just like there's almost a certain level of nostalgia just thinking about your entire childhood, because that that movie really, you know, obviously, I think people hope that it would be well received. But I don't think that anyone thought that it would seep into the everyday pop culture that it did over the course of time. And so for me, like this score to the coming number two, America sequel, every note that I wrote uh, with this movie, it really had to do with paying homage to the legacy of how the first movie made us feel. So really the, you know, the sequel really was about giving a nod to the tone and the spirit of the original movie and just giving audiences a reason and the encouragement to smile, you know, mm-hmm. to have fun. And it's not just about a comedy, but things that make us feel warm, things that get us, you know, you know, and there's definitely that need for, you know, a moment of escape during a time of, the pandemic and of course i'm sure we'll probably talk about what it was like to create a score like this mm-hmm. during the pandemic but you know I, I think it's very much needed you know with uh a lot of the the you know the 
the, the trends in terms of the, the dark tone that has been kind of looming over um, yeah. not just our country, but the whole world. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it was really fun. I had a chance to go back and watch the, the original film last week before. And it's just like the connective tissue between the first one and the second one. I was just so curious, like, are we going to see the same characters? Are we going to see some of those same similar moments, those homages that are so well, like just they carry over. And then obviously like the addition of Wesley Snipes, obviously, in this one is just like oh, yeah. uh, super welcomed. Um, super yeah. So when Craig, I mean, because the first one was John Landis. Um, mm -hmm what what did what was the direction Craig had given you what was some early picture or script like what was the initial marching orders direction that he had for you yeah the honestly the the very beginning crux of uh, the conversation had to do with the fact that they needed to start shooting and they needed music on set to shoot to so they pitched me a couple of ideas of things that were going to be happening in the story and after writing a couple of those uh, musical uh, you know, passes at what I, my interpretation of that. And along with, you know, just the celebration of the first movie, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of, you know, nod of their heads. I'm like, this is kind of feels like we're all making the same movie here. And then after which point I read the script um, and they had started shooting and, you know, I was continuing to write and just send ideas and everything just continued to, to click with uh the needs that they had you know some different moments involving percussion different moments involving dance uh, different moments involving singing that needed to happen uh on screen uh facilitated the need to actually record live vocals so that we can get a sort of exact version of you know how things will be performed on camera and, and how the story is going to be told using music yeah i mean the film just like the the, the, the second one starts off in the same style uh, with the with you know the logo pushing like past the mountains yeah. uh -huh. and it's it's a really exciting energy that you have to yeah. start with because we're returning to you know king a king a yeah. team now and so yeah. what did you want like was this one of your first cues that you'd worked on or what, what was the evolution of, of this one your for your main I title really think the first the first cue that i actually wrote and it's funny enough that it was just literally me you know i, I think I, I watched the opening the first 10 minutes of the movie and then just turned it off and just like kind of tried to write something that evoked a feeling i am the tone of you know uh the pageantry and the the royalty of the of the the royal family so to speak uh ended up being you know a cue that wasn't used in the way that i thought it would be used in the movie but we did when we got to our scoring session at fox it was the first cue that we recorded i i, I forgot that it was the first thing that i wrote um but it was talked about that there would be a main title sequence similar to the first movie and what you hear in the film is very, 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 very close to exactly what I wrote in the demo version for this is what I see. And they talked about the, you know, the cameras would sweep like this and you would see, you know, the mountains, and you'd see trees. Mm -hmm. uh, it, 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 you know, I thought, you know, at the end of the day, how can we build off of the approach, the musical approach and, um, yeah, uh, thematic material that you see or at least the sound and spirit of the first movie how how can we make that bigger and more you know more give it some more energy and say look let's feel good about the way you know everyone's you know that that is kind of iconic but you know that floating sequence in the first movie over the land of this you know this fairy tale kingdom of the zamunda so yeah 
Yeah, it was probably the second thing that I wrote. That oh, amazing. It, the, just listening to the track just by itself, there's so much going on. You have vo voices, horns, uh, yeah. percussion that's like yeah. just like coming in and out. How did you structure it? How do, how do you even approach a cue like this? Because it doesn't it doesn't really establish it. It's more of the energy of the track that you're trying to, I feel like, establish where it's yeah. like yes. just the exuberance of this kingdom. So, yeah. How, how yeah. do you even start about sketching out or templating? I mean, the very first pass, I think it, it had more to do heav heavily with per percussion specifically. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, I, I decided later after it was, um, they re-edited re re the, the timing of it. I think it ended up being about three minutes at our first pass, mm -hmm. um, tacking on kind of an intro that said, um, you know, kind of, kind of a welcoming the audience into this, this land and establishing that we're going on a journey. That was the idea. And then also, um, there's some texts that I had um, spoken in there. Uh, I think I had some translation of some mm -hmm. uh, some lyrics that uh, basically have to do with uh, welcoming the audience to the motherland. You know, <laughs> uh, is is subtly an, an Easter egg in there for anyone that understands either Swahili or Yoruba, uh, which was a language that's it's uh, native to West Africa, which is where Zamunda would be. Um, but yeah, the idea was that it needed to be energetic. And even when there are, you know, different sections, sectionally speaking in the composition that the energy is, is it, it doesn't go away, but there's pageantry, there's excitement and there's anticipation. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's cut down a, a quite a bit from where it was, but um, these, you know, uh, the characters that you see introducing the, the movie and walking through and, you know, not to give too much away, but throwing roses, I'll say. <laughs> oh, they walk for a long time. <laughs> yeah. That was fun. Um, um, yeah. I have to ask because, like, the only other film that I can even compare this to of just, like, this magical land, obviously, is The White Elephant of, of, of Black Panther. I feel yeah. like it's it's hard it's hard to ignore just it's the elephant in the room for sure you know <laughs> what what can you what can you say just about like uh, this film w was way this is you know 20 yeah. plus years before black panther ever existed yeah, exactly. i'm not saying that i'm just curious of like people not being like well we want what black panther did because you know what i can absolutely speak to that because you know the idea was you know the first coming to america film in terms of the culture was definitely the first thing. And, I, you know, it's one of the reasons that Black Panther was so successful is that, mm -hmm. you know, there was not such a dramatization of um, situations that were basically negative or coming from a place of lack when it concerned right. Black culture specifically. So, you know, I think everyone know, even the, everyone involved in Black Panther knows that coming to America happened first. But um, there, there, is, there was a reference at one point in the film about uh you know the land of wakanda and mm -hmm. i think you uh you, you get that a little bit in the trailer but um um yeah the, the ideal you know i even asked you know everyone involved you know please let's not temp this movie in any way shape or form with black panther because this is a very different thing i'm not going to africa to do any recording um this is a situation where it's like i, I just wanted the voice to just like just come out of me in terms of um, the feeling and and the, the spirit of the first film is really you know it's an uplifting comedy yeah. with with heart and romance and you know, obviously adventure and some some other fun uh, <laughs> moments but um, I wanted to stay away from as far as I could the idea of trying to copy 
Black Panther or any any of that. It's stuff. not even about you copying. It's about everyone else just being like, "Oh, I've been here before." Isn't this? Yeah, Wakanda? Honestly, there, was, <laughs> yeah. there was never really anyone pointing me in the direction. Yeah. Of that, thankfully. Yeah, it's so interesting because when I, I listened to um, McDowell's the second track, McDowell's track, mm. uh, it mm. feels fundamentally, you know, it has like like the electric guitar. Like, mm -hmm. th there's there's things that are quintessential when you talk about maybe music from Africa yeah. or you know from maybe that just like represents this community or the energy yeah yeah so like where do you look is it the type of instrumentation is it the type of players the, yeah. you know, to be honest i yeah. made a playlist for myself just to listen to in the car you know when i was yeah. driving to the studio of music that felt a certain way mm -hmm. and really it had to do with groove it had to do with rhythms you know that i found and studied that were pretty native to popular and, and contemporary music from West Africa specifically, uh, uh, just in terms of groove. So almost any cue, whether it be comedy or romance, any crew that cue that had a groove to it, it had to start with a certain feel behind it that, that felt very authentic to where, you know, Zumunda takes place in, in terms of his groove. And then of course there are lyrics, text that you hear a little bit subtly in that McDowell's cue that, that repeat the phrase Ikabo si elewa, which means welcome to the motherland, is another thing that you hear in the main title as well. And you hear that throughout the film as well, which is That's awesome. trying to say this is this is it's, it's a it's a it's a tribal element to it, but then it but it adds a smile to your face, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Something that's consistent is, is percussion, and I feel like the patterns and the styles are so unique um, to this type of music. How do you educate yourself? How do you write for this type of of percussion um, i actually ended up uh, coming across a uh, really cool percussionist sydney hobson who uh had been doing a lot of work uh more and so more and more so with with danny elfman mm -hmm. specifically um doing a lot of solo percussion work and we started talking about instruments and instruments that he had access to and he uh, you know not only that but i, I came across um an, an instagram page that that mm -hmm. someone hit me to that he had and he had this one video of himself snapping his fingers really fast he's doing all these rhythms i can't i can't, I can't <laughs> even do what he was doing but i was like okay this guy i'm gonna write a cue just so he can snap his fingers over it literally and there's one cue later in the movie that i was just like just have a heyday of finger snapping and there's a lot of things that he could do that were like really unique to I've literally never heard that before. Um, you know, I wanted there to be a visceral kind of primal element to oh, yeah. something. So that's where you hear a couple of <laughs> and different elements that are vocal that are also rhythmic within the score as well. Um, mm. But, you know, bass marimbas, glass marimbas, uh, African marimbas, wooden marimbas, metal marimbas, all these different things. Like he was, you know, he gave me all these different examples of things that we could use. And I was like, okay, we're, let's 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 just do it all let's do everything you got let's, let's right go. yeah that's awesome um you know the the like this film is a comedy like it's mm -hmm. it and that's what i forgot about the first one like i forgot mm -hmm. how how much it lives in the in the comedic space i mean john landis as the director mm -hmm. that that's you know from his history of of filmmaking and whatnot i just feel like you give you give eddie murphy the leash to be all these characters and everyone else it just it fundamentally feels like is how much of it, it it lies in reality how much of it is in this like high kind of hyper real kind of i don't know make-believe world just because uh, it, it's it's obviously set within our 
our time i mean today's world but it still harkens back to like this these kind of comedic things and your cues help lean into things that i feel like composers who are writing for for comedies have to kind of help with of these like kind of like little comedic moments that the characters are doing and i felt like a lot of your cues not a lot of them but there's, there's a lot of moments throughout the yeah. film that calls for that did you spot for those or did Cray call those I, out? I, yeah, that's something we talked about early on is I was like, okay, just like you said, we know that at the end of the day, we're delivering a comedy. Like people mm -hmm. need to be laughing. Like if they're not laughing, number one, something's wrong. However, the music cannot be funny music. It can't be comedic. It can't be silly. It can't be things that uh, <laughs> the music can't embarrass the movie, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's not it's not silly like is is heartfelt moments that are very genuine and you know he even talked about you know akeem eddie murphy's character in the first movie he's a very compassionate person like he has very real fe feelings and he's honestly in this movie his is you know it's no secret that he, he's discovered that he has a son and in the journey that we're taking in the sequel like his son is doing a lot of things that um he did in the first movie and having feelings that he felt, which of course make it feel even more real for Akeem to accept his son where he is. So um, we need to lean into why it's okay to be supportive to that character mm -hmm. as well. And so, you know, there are funny moments. I always say like, you got to let the comedy play and either give room to it or support the storyline behind it. But the idea of being silly with the music, like, Craig and I were so on board with staying away from that <laughs> immediately because mm. that's not the story either one of us wanted to tell. Yeah. Did, did you have to pull any of any melodies or any things that were introduced in the first film? Was there any crossover that you had? Actually, to yeah. So Nile Rogers was the composer of the score for the first movie. And um, there was utter encouragement and support to use thematic material from the song that he wrote. Um, which was uh, performed by the system called Coming to America. So there are several moments where you actually, an audience might not remember that they, 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 they're familiar with that melody, but I made sure to lean into it because that song does end up, you know, not to spoil too much, but in our movie as well. And so I think it helps tie in uh, the story where we finally hear the song played out with sung lyrics um, in this movie. Yeah. And then, and then obviously, like, I don't want to give too much away in the movie, but there's these moments when there's these kind of cameo performances by mm. a litany of artists. A litany. I mean, that was magical. Uh, honestly, you know, it's yeah. even mentioning that I forget, you know, having been on set with some of these people mm. um, to get to walk up to some of them um, and just like you, you're a fan of their work or their legacy in their own right and or. Um, having been involved in recording sessions for some of these people before they were actually mm. shooting, it just seemed like this whirlwind of a process that I could not have predicted in terms of the amount of star power and firepower and people that were just literally happy um, mm. to just be involved because they were a fan of the first movie. I mean, the movie, you know, uh, you know, brought so much levity to people's lives over the years. And um, I'll just say specifically, I remember um you know it wasn't a musical thing but wesley snipes showing up to set one day and he pulls out his iphone and he's taking pictures of the set <laughs> i don't know mm -hmm. what he's doing but i thought to myself 
you're Wesley Snipes. Like, don't you do all this? But he was so happy. I could see it. You know, even Tracy Morgan made a comment. He was like, oh, I'm just happy. I can't do it. <laughs> he didn't do a Tracy Morgan impersonation, but he was describing how happy he was to just be in part of, a part of the history and the legacy of the first film. Yeah. And I was like, these guys are really like are making this feel like the big deal that it, I know that it is, but I'm trying not to think about that. Like, and just mm-hmm. enjoy it and and get the job done and, and, and try to, you know, soak up the process because it's like, it seemed like a thing that, you know, is fleeting that, like you said, these cameos, yeah. you a project where all that kind of energy is just like surrounding you every single day. I like, mean, Morgan Freeman of himself, I was like, is that Morgan Freeman's voice? And then sure enough, it's Morgan Freeman. I'm just like, wow, yeah, like right. everybody got into this, this project. Right, you're so like, cool. well, who isn't? <laughs> did, what, what did you, I mean, you know, I would say this is probably one of the bigger projects that you've had a chance to work on. Yeah. What can you say just about now that you've been through the, the project, now you're looking back, what was one of the, the major takeaways of having a chance to work on a film of this size and scope and, and you know, just all the creative folks that were involved you know what, with it? To be, to be honest, I think the idea of trying to enjoy something like this, um, you know, I would say the pandemic, it gave me something to focus on for sure because I was pretty immersed in it when the summer hit last year and, you know, a lot of things with Black Lives Matter were, were going crazy uh, outside our doors in terms of in the streets and protests and riots and things. While I was actually trying to be creative, um, the idea of, I don't know, just um, really having something to um, not only focus on, but the idea that at, at a certain point, there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel mm-hmm. and people are going to need that levity. So, the idea of really focusing on on that it was you know i felt like there's a certain level of responsibility but the idea in terms of takeaway would be you know to enjoy all these moments you know enjoy being on set like that's not something that I, even with indie films that i was always able to do yeah um to to literally walk around and talk to the actors to to walk up to 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 you know morgan freeman who's only there for the day Mm-hmm. and tell him to his face that I, I, I wrote music specifically for your speech, you know, your moment <laughs> on camera and have him tell me he can't wait to hear it. <laughs> it's like <laughs> bucket list moment, right? You know, so, you know, trying to soak it in and not be so focused in the, 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 the requirements of the job, but just actually have a, allow myself to actually enjoy the process. That was yeah definitely a big takeaway. Um, a lot of choir and a lot of use of it throughout some, some solos, some yeah. like just ensembles. How did you want to structure it? How did you even go about, you know, putting all, all, all the voices together? Where did you find folks and how did you guys record them? Yeah, that's an interesting question. So, you know, I have a huge background in, you know, you know, the church in terms of gospel music, you know, spiritual music, choral, choral music, Christian music. And so the idea that there would be, you know, a certain level of soul or choir or intimate, you know, singing or solos was like always a part of the idea of the sound of Zamunda for me. Um, Our first recording session was at Capitol Records with, I think it might have been 12 or 13 vocalists, which were all female. Um, We recorded that for part of the main title sequence, specifically to shoot to, and then after started shooting i had another session uh at sunset sound with i think it was nine vocalists um a mixture of of sorts 
Um, and uh, I talked a lot with uh, a friend specifically about, you know, if I can have my wish list of vocalists, like let's let's get like a top 20, top 30, and then I'll have to n- narrow it down from there. But again, that's where a lot of the, the ideas of chanting, specific um, text that would be sung, uh, where that would, um, you know, kind of play into. And then when COVID happened, you know, our woodwinds had to record at home, drums, bass, and guitar all at home. Mm. And then vocalists, I ended up using five singers to record at home. They, um, that, that, that's changed the approach. It actually became and more, I think, informative of telling the story, a more intimate sound as it pertains to vocals specifically. So the sound became more about not, not so much the choir um, approach, but more of, you know, just the sound of the, that, that intimate, you know, kind of visceral, you know, approach. Um, so, yeah. Was Eddie at all involved? I mean, he has a writing credit. Um, was he was he involved with any of the post-creative decisions? Uh, I think he was uh, pretty involved with making sure everything was on par with, you know, the vision. I mean, it's his story. You know, it's, you know, he's credited as a writer and producer. Um, I did get to meet him briefly on set and it was kind of a funny moment because there's so many things to do <laughs> that the conditions and the way that I met him, it was just like a very high pre- pressure situation that we needed to take our time with. <laughs> it was like, oh, by the way, Eddie, here's our composer, Jermaine. <laughs> hey, how's it going? Great. <laughs> oh like, god yeah yeah, yeah. like and it was just one of those great moments but he was very involved um to my knowledge and i know that he loves music and i've heard him talk um about making sure that um every element including music in this movie um was in line with the the overall you know tone that you know that this movie is a very specific movie very different from the first one um and just to know that we we're all on the same page making the same movie and that he was fully supportive of that was like okay this is this is the package you know this is the thing so when did you have all of your material put together when did you start to really you felt like you were in the thick of getting production and recordings and understanding where cues were gonna lie like what i guess like what months was that in, in terms of yeah so i start i got a rough assembly around january of 2020 and just started you know getting updates and mm-hmm. to my you know recollection there never really was a locked version of the picture there were just different versions and uh, i would say around march right before the shutdowns happened was when we were getting into versions that i can actually write sequences of score to and actually time things out and see how things are working and then when the shutdowns happened i actually moved my studio twice uh ended up where i'm at now in july of last year and I think I ended up having a recording session with an organist at a church down near Inglewood over the summer in July. Um, also had a guitar session remotely in July. A lot of things are pieced together in ways that I need the certain live elements that I have to record to have them mocked up because it'll only sell it, you know, uh, it only be sold a certain way if you know, if, if certain people that I knew I wanted to play on it were actually playing in my initial, you know, uh, presentation. So some of those things were happening in July. And I think we started talking about recording it originally we were supposed to record in June, but of course COVID hit, everyone was forgiven of all original plans. 
and then August, September became more of reality. And so I would say about September was when I was pretty close, 80% done with the score. And then October, we ended up recording at Fox with our string session um, for a day and then brass for a day. And then at that same time, we had drums, bass, guitar, harp, all recording remotely. Mm. And our vocalists all recording the same week and percussion, all recording remotely at separate locations all over town. Uh, one person was actually on an island, um, but uh, everyone was grabbing Pro Tools sessions and uploading files all the same week and things are being assembled. And um, it's kind of magical that it, we sit back and go, oh, it all worked out, but <laughs> a little bit chaotic, <laughs> but did, it was fun. Did you have additional uh, support staff to help? I mean, did you have to, I guess, be the wrangler of parts or actually you, this, yeah. so you know the way this worked out and i always wanted this to be a situation where you know coming to america is such a big ip and i felt like i'm gonna look back on this for so much in my career um <laughs> that i want to look back and say that number one i wrote every note because you know there's a pandemic going on so there's time to actually manage yeah changes there are a lot of picture changes happening um, I wasn't juggling a lot of projects at the same time. So it allowed for me to actually be the full on creative voice to, to this movie. But um, Bill Ross was involved as an orchestrator and he's someone that's been a huge hero, always enjoyed his, his orchestrations, you know, in his own right, he's been had an amazing career as a composer and arranger Um working with him was just like incredible and like you know the the mock-ups were very specific so i think that also helped him to be pretty exact with what he knew that i was probably looking for in terms of it being crunch time and getting ready to record and then um you know mark graham and those guys at the jkms also uh, helped with orchestration and copying as things kind of last minute came through the pipeline in terms of um uh, just moving those live record live live record needs through the process, um, but yeah, in terms of coordinating things, like it, I did most of it all in this room and like was on the phone. And stems were being printed by someone else while we were recorded at different hours and different times, and it worked out. You know, it did work out. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> one of the things that the the pandemic like helped was the idea of, of self-managing all these things and also kind of making decisions on like certain cues I knew I had to record live, but then being like, you know, the, I was informed that certain scenes might be coming in after our recording session and how's oh, that wow. going down and then how our stems going to be printed for those things. Um, the pandemic allowed for that. It, it made that, you know, be a, a smooth process in terms of, ah, I got you covered, whatever, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, you know, we had dates to, to adhere to, but I honestly don't think I was at any pr point really worried about getting any of the work done or any of the tasks, any of the direction, any of the things that everyone was asking to the goals that we're trying to achieve through music. For some reason, at no point was I worried. Like it was a very peaceful process, very solitary. Unfortunately, I would rather have had Craig here in my studio, you know, giving feedback and vibing, talking about movies that we grew up on, because um, he has a lot of similar interests. Um, but um, it was what it was. And, it, you know, yeah. the good thing is, I think people will smile. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Um, what do you, what program or where do you go in writing? Is it on keys? Like what's, what's your kind of first um, step for writing? Honestly, you know, I've been doing a lot of mock-ups here with, you know, just, you know, using digital performer and mm -hmm. the, a lot of the, the, the tools that people normally uh, use. But I think most of the vocal mock-ups, you know, came from, you know, in some cases I wanted, like you said, it, you know, it was very colorful. You're saying the opening cues had a lot going on, <laughs> you know, um, I, I wanted to do very specific things with voices and I wanted a lot of chord changes and different things. So like I would, you know, write the notes out and then, sing each individual note into the mock-up so that the parts can be isolated and have a little bit of complexity and fun mm -hmm. with the harmonies when it came to the came to the, the vocalist doing their thing at home um but yeah um the the percussion was you know uh, extensive uh very detailed mock-ups in terms of how i wanted things and also able to you know support a lot of the live playing and and in some cases also have him just run with certain ideas. Um, so, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, I'm looking at this. Well, I'm thinking of the finale of, it's, I mean, there's there's a lot of key moments. I mean, the barbershop in of itself. I mean, that, there's there's not necessarily music cues through then, but when you get to Queens, yeah. um, was there a different approach about how you wanted it to sound or what it needed to be? Yeah, the very first time that Eddie, uh, his character, Akeem, arrives in Queens, like I wanted it to be a very different sound. Uh, it wasn't going to be a sound that was consistent with all of New York, but I wanted yeah. all of a sudden it to feel, you know, very anticipatory and yeah. urban. Like it needs to feel like he's out of place. Like when we're in Zamunda, it feels like, you know, we've established a Zamundan sound. And there's a certain level of, you know, our, you know, conventional orchestral scoring that you hear, um, you know, uh, in other parts of the movie. When we get to Queens, like the idea is that like he should feel a little out of place. So it has to feel a little off kilter from a little bit off kilter from the rest of the score. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, you're talking about the, the there's a kind of a, a back and forth moment towards the end of the movie, mm -hmm. um, which also has a certain level of urban but anticipatory <laughs> we're driving towards a thing you know type feel in it as well yeah it's really interesting just to see how many cues you you know just in this this current list of from the film mm -hmm. there's sometimes there's you know really sweeping moments that i feel like in, in films it's like music music is going to lead and i i think in this film that maybe the, the challenge is is that there aren't it's all there's always story there's always kind of dialogue scenes and your music i feel like is used a little differently and not it's 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 like it's meant to support the dialogue scene versus having to carry it yeah um, yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah i mean can you just talk about like the difference of having to like fully carry moments versus just supporting what what's the dot you know dialogue scenes or yeah you know. i mean that's the funny thing about like these iconic characters like looking at them on screen and like finally you know uh allowing you know some of these super crazy strong performances or just the look of someone just someone showing <laughs> up on set like sells half the story yeah <laughs> some cases and when uh lavelle and his mother show up uh in zamunda like there's a certain level of you know obviously fun that you know the audience needs to feel but it, it's it needs to have that that delicate balance between the sound of zamunda a contemporary sound them being out of place, you know, um, Zamundans feeling a little out of place. Um, 
but there's a lot of intimate sweet moments where you know Akeem is talking to his wife and trying to figure out things trying to figure out this this new phase in life but you know it's not just about you know his role as prince but he's now king he's a father um we're getting to the heart of of some conversations between him and his character the character lisa's father um <laughs> when they're t- having a fatherly conversation um because that's now the major father figure in his life um it's really about supporting the the heart of the story and not necessarily telling something the the audience something that they don't necessarily know they know it yeah you know, they're, they're they see they're they're in they're along with the ride but just really supporting that is was a fun thing to do it really dictated the tone and the pace you know just allowing them to do their thing yeah so in regards to pace with the film editors it looks like there was uh david clark billy fox and deborah mm-hmm. neil fisher how much interaction how much feedback did you have from the picture team like you were saying there were it was kind of a rolling edit ongoing changes mm-hmm. are you responding to their edit or were you i'm like how, what was the interaction true. I think I was supplying some ideas for things, you know, as they were trying to figure out specifically there's a pretty elaborate scene with uh, uh, a task that um, Lavelle, Akeem's newfound son, he has to accomplish to kind of prove himself. And that was one that everyone's trying to figure out what is the best way to approach this thing. So I really gave early on Billy Fox some ideas to get started on. And then when Deborah came on, we had some pretty cool conversations. Uh, uh, just about you know making the audience smile and like mm-hmm. simple needs of the film you know you need to feel grounded in a certain level of culture like otherwise the story doesn't work you know yeah. I mean? like it can't just be your typical you know you know pizzicato strings for all <laughs> moments like it just does it literally makes the you know the story go it's yeah. less you, you don't buy it um but then at the end of the day you know it it, it needs to have a delicate balance of all the things so yeah i was working pretty close to a certain point before covid hit i, I was talking to paramount about moving my studio on a lot mm-hmm. just because for this movie I, I i just wanted to jump completely in mm-hmm. and you know it was approved and it was going to happen and all these things and then <laughs> literally no one was coming to the lot so it didn't make any sense and mm-hmm. the editors were working from home um and so um, so we, I mean, as best as we could, we stayed, you know, as a unit, you know, um, when the different editors were in, involved. Yeah. It's so interesting to see how everyone's navigated it in their own way. Everyone fundamentally is working at home mm-hmm. and having to c- try to recreate the collaboration that naturally would happen if you were yeah. in the same space. It's, it's just great to hear that, you know, it doesn't, the show can still go on. We don't need to necessarily put things on the shelf and wait for, for COVID. To, to pass but i just feel like it's a it's a real challenge to like really look back and be like well what do i need around me to get the job done yeah and, yeah yeah i mean even craig you know was talking about like this new process when we got to our final dub stage uh, yeah. moment uh, so we dubbed for about three if not four weeks mm-hmm. and the first three weeks of that he was in memphis in his home theater uh mm-hmm. listening through to the to the mixes in five one there just to give the initial rounds and notes and the last week he uh was at we mixed at sony um he came up for that but even with our scoring session no one that was was not essential to the actual recording of the music was allowed to be at the session so director wasn't allowed no producers allowed no assistants no cam you know no camera crew you know it's just 
whoever needs whoever is absolutely needed to get the music recorded are the only people allowed um to be you know there's a limit to the amount of people that can actually stand on the physical stage in terms of the amounts of players that you can have you know mm. you see guidelines every player had to have a covid test yeah i mean it was you know it was a very different process but you know um, the one thing I definitely will miss will be, you know, when I say miss, I hope it will return <laughs> sooner than later, will be the idea of having the entire group of performers, if you prefer that, to be, you know, to be allowed to do them all in the same room, especially woodwinds. Woodwinds, they're like, they're the thing that glue the orchestra together in terms of, you know, the things mm-hmm. that help support um, the string section. They're, they're, they're glue. You're so essential to have them in the room. And to be honest, that that really changed the way I, I used woodwinds more in a, of a soloistic way mm-hmm. as opposed to the way I would use them if they were sitting in the room and yeah. how I even wrote for them, you know. Yeah, so true. It's, you know, I, I am not a composer. I do not know how you guys, you, musical magicians, are able to do what you do. But I, I feel like, um, you know, it's really exciting to think about the projects that have led up to this one for you and, mm. and just how you can kind of take all of of your experience and be like, all right, if I'm ever going to have an opportunity to, yeah. you know, work on a project of, of this nature yep. now or never. Cause yeah, yeah it's, it's, I, you know, I'd be so curious, you know, what to you would you say to yourself, young composer, Jermaine, what, what was your takeaway? What, like, what, what's your perspective now being that you've had a chance to work on, you know, uh, I never film? really would have thought that, this project would have been this kind of project because Mm -hmm. I would say that in terms of my, you know, uh, early days as a saxophonist and thinking that that was going to be my career, I knew I was going to have a career in music for sure. When I started playing saxophone, I was, there was something that clicked that music was going to be the thing. It wasn't necessarily composer, but never did I guess that, you know, my backgrounds and, you know, I mean, going to, as a kid, jazz camps for a week, you know what I mean? Marching band, you know, my love of conducting, uh, my love of choir, my love of, you know, certain style of music, styles of music, um, small ensemble music, Um, my obsession with percussion, my obsession with drummers, like on Instagram, I'm following all these drummers that are doing all these crazy things. I just love rhythm. Mm -hmm and think about that for hours and hours when when youtube was first like gaining popularity i was one of those people that the algorithms of seeing all these drummers on your right side of the screen like i just was you know tumbling down the rabbit hole of drummer that things like that would play into my 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 love of percussion and drums and rhythm and sophisticated rhythms and different things um like this movie was you know if people are you know they they're looking for sometimes a, a project that will encapsulate their, their voices and artists, like everything that I've ever done musically in my entire life at some point or another, I had to actually implement that into scoring this movie. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what I would say to my younger self is don't worry, you'll get to do that. Don't that thing <laughs> that, you know, that, that whole situation that you got, you know, it's like literally whether it be action, adventure, chase, romance, like comedy, like every single thing that I, that that I could think that would be needed was required to tell this story. Um, so That's I would awesome. tell my younger self, "Don't worry, <laughs> it'll happen. Maybe all in one project, but it'll happen." So cool. Well, I mean, this film comes out very soon here, uh, March fifth. 
Um, it's going to be on Amazon, um, through Amazon Studios. You know, it's going to be exciting for folks to have a chance to go revisit these characters. I, I any, any time, you know, I was like, are they going to bring back X, Y, and Z character? And of course they did. <laughs> to me, it's just like the, just it's, it's so fun. And um, yeah. I feel like, you know, the first film holds up and I feel like this film is mm -hmm. right there next to it. Yep. Um, you know, for folks who want to uh, keep track of you and what you're up to, where, where's a good way? Are you on social media? Where, where can they find you? I am on social media. If you just search Jermaine Stiegel, you pretty much find me. <laughs> <laughs> Make it easy. And, and what, what's coming up for you? Well, what are some of the projects on the horizon? What does this year look like? Uh, this year looks interesting. One uh, film I'm just starting now for Universal, which is a, uh, a psychological thriller. That should be very, uh, very interesting and a, a sharp right turn from the comedic, um, romantic coming to America vibe. It's it's uh, going to be one to sonically, hopefully, uh, turn some heads and go, wait a minute, what? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. cool. That kind of vibe. So. Awesome. Well, Jermaine, so great to connect and, and hear about this film. Congratulations uh, on this project. And I'm excited to see what, what the next, I feel like every time I check in with you, you have something else going on that's so exciting. And thank yeah, you. it's just, it's great to see people gravitate towards your music and your work. So well, thank you. Totally appreciate it. <laughs>